Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Stockholm, Alexander Gustafsson versus Anthony Smith, and Shaq is going down this Saturday in Stockholm, Sweden. Alexander Gustafsson in another main event, this time against the former number one contender, Anthony Smith. Alexander's getting that hometown fight. Sometimes he's come through in Sweden, sometimes he hasn't. He's fighting a habitual uh, upsetter. Guy that kind of flies under the radar a lot, and it's a it's a big fight. You know, Gustafsson's three and four in his last seven fights. They're both coming off this title fight to John Jones, in which they both got dominated. You know, so uh, whoever whoever wins this fight, man, they can position themselves right back in a title contention. And whoever loses, man, it's pretty much over. And you know, both guys got dominated, but one man was closer to winning than the other. And let me explain what I mean. I mean, my boy Alexander Gustafsson got pounded out. He had zero chance, but. Uh, Anthony Smith could have taken a little DQ and could have been wearing that belt today. He elected not to. <laughs> he could have. He could have. Uh, he could have got that belt, man. But uh, you know, it is what it is. Now he's a, a underdog again. Another big underdog. Now he's in Sweden, and man, that uh, that arena in Sweden's really big, man. How many? I think it's like fifty thousand seater. You know, so basically, it's like a football stadium. Yeah, it's a football stadium. So it's gonna be a lot of pressure on those guys fighting uh, that are from Sweden and those Euros in general, man. Man, this is gonna be a good card. A lot of international matchups. A lot of a lot of prospects, some newcomers, some veterans, everything across the board. Uh, I expect some violence. I expect some finishes. You know we already got an underdog play on this card. Go to bestfightpicks.com for that. And Shaq, let's break down this whole card start to finish. Because first up, in the lightweight division, we got Joel Alvarez. He's 15-2. and two, And Danilo Belwardo is 12-3. and three. Currently, they got... Joel Alvarez minus 115 and Danilo Belwardo is minus 105. Well, Shaq, you got the wrestler and Danilo Belwardo taking on the opportunistic submission guy in Joel Alvarez. My question here is, is uh, Danilo about to grind this out or is Joel going to catch him with something? Both these guys in general are just pretty low level in terms of the 155-pound division. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to say both these guys uh, from a year from now aren't going to be here, but they got a lot of ways to 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 get better and they uh they're at the bottom they're at the bottom of the barrel at 155 let's just be honest here Alvarez he's coming off that fight against Ismagulov you know it wasn't a bad showing Ismagulov Ismagulov's clearly uh just a completely different caliber fighter than him but the the fact that Alvarez from the scene that he comes from Spain some of the stuff that he did early on in his career the flopping to his back it seems like he's caught up uh, you know somewhat and Bellardo you could say the same thing for him you know he was out there got knocked out in three or four fights uh you know four years ago or so he bounced back now it seems like he's 2017 found... wasn't four years ago oh, four, um, AJ McKee was four years ago yeah. but uh in the the pole and all that stuff but uh he bounced back he seems like he's found his niche in there it seems like he uh knows what to do to win now seems like alvarez probably has the better technique on the feet but you know it's not really dangerous it's all he's just really tall you know he gives you it's a it's a little difficult because he's six foot three not really much firepower the ismagula fight ismagula didn't really try to take him down but uh bilardo's definitely gonna try to take him down can he hold him down it's tough to say man you really don't know too much about both guys I kind of favor Danilo just because I feel like he's going to be the aggressor in this matchup. I feel like, though Alvarez has been fighting the takedowns a little better, I feel like the way Danilo's going to get in there might make him, uh, uh, Joel, resort back to some old tendencies, man. So I think uh, Bilardo's going to win two out of three rounds. I feel like it's going to be a tough fight. I feel like the third round might go Alvarez's way. He's really long. But uh, I got to go with the Italian to, to win a, a split decision on Euroturf. Yeah, I mean, listen, both of these guys wouldn't even win the NFC title, and it, there's a reason this is the first fight of the night. So you got Danilo Belwardo, the wrestler, taking on the opportunistic 
finisher in Joel Alvarez and all of Joel's fights. I mean, if you go back and you watch some of those early ones he had, man, some of the ugliest shit you've ever seen, zero takedown defense, basically relies on the fact that he's six foot three, he can throw up triangles, and submitted a lot of his uh, regional opponents that way. But man, with uh, Danilo Belwardo, talk about some scary knockout losses, man. You, as you mentioned, there was a point there where he got knocked out in three of his four fights, and the last one was just a vicious, brutal, stiff KO where, you know, we thought he died, man. We were like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, it was very uncomfortable to watch. But since that point, he put his head down. He's on a six-fight win streak. And, I mean, the guy is pretty damn solid on top. Now, I know he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Uh, I'm not sure under who, so, you know, I, I don't really know uh, what the deal is there. But he's allegedly a brown belt, so that should be able to neutralize the game of Joel Alvarez. But the thing with Joel Alvarez is Danilo Belardo falls in line with all the regional opponents that Joel Alvarez has been beating. It's that level opponent. So... While I do think that Joel is not going to come out here and win a decision because he doesn't have the style to win a fight from start to finish, I do think that he can catch him with something along the way, whether it's a knee on a takedown entry, whether it's a triangle choke, a darse, a guillotine. I see Joel Alvarez losing the entire fight until he catches Danilo Belardo and finishes him. So I'm going to go Joel Alvarez. Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Devin Brown Bear Clark. He's 9-3, and three, and Darko Stosic is 13-1. and one. Currently, they got Devin Clark minus 120. The comeback on Darko, Lord of Darkness, Stosic is plus 100. Well, Shaq, uh, they keep doing the same thing with Devin Clark. You know, my boy Sturkov had to pull out that fight, but they weren't like, uh, you know what, Devin, since you flew all the way to Prague, we'll give you an easy fight this time. No, it's like, guess what? Fly all the way back to Europe. and Actually, in Russia. <laughs> since you didn't get to uh, have that fight in Russia, uh, guess what, Devin? Now fly all the way back to Stockholm and take on Darko Stosic. Who you got here? Yeah, you know, I see a lot of people on Clark this week, and you know, I get it. He's a he's a good athlete. He's a big wrestler, um, big power. He dropped Ratchet his last fight, but technically speaking, man, the guy's trash. You know, he's got nothing technical about him whatsoever. He's just a good athlete. So occasionally, yeah, he'll have glimpses of dropping a guy, or he's not really seeing the results, man. He's still having the same issues he had early on in his career when he was out here getting knocked out by Alex Nicholson at 185 pounds. His wins are against Josh Stansberry and uh, Jake Collier. You know, Collier's on a USADA suspension. Stansberry, I don't even know who that guy is. And then now he, he got he went in there against Jan Blakovich. That was the test to see if he was uh, at that level of 205, and he completely wasn't, man. The guy was lunging over to the point where Jan was able to get a standing rear naked choke <laughs> against the fence. Like, the guy's, like I said, he's got nothing technical about him. And he was able to get the win over Rodriguez. Props to him. You know, allegedly, uh, Rodriguez says that he didn't have a, a strength and conditioning coach. And, you know, he was able to get the better of the wrestling. And uh, he, he did his thing there. But the Ratchik fight, yeah, he dropped Ratchik with the left hook. Could that be a step in the right direction? Possibly. But I feel like Darko Stasak, although... He's definitely not the athlete, uh, the athlete that Clark is. I feel like he's got a solid base, man. I feel like this guy goes out here and does his job in comparison to a Devin Clark who's very spastic in there. We know that one little shot behind the ear, he might go down. He might get in a standing rear naked choke. Might eat a backhand. <laughs> might, eat a, might go down on a backhand. Like, the guy's all over the place. I feel like Stasek... He's got, he's got good jabs. He's got good low kicks. And for a guy with big muscles, man, the guy manages cardio fairly well. So I, I like Darko Stachik. I think he might struggle early just because Clark is a serious athlete. I will give him that. But in rounds two and three, when Clark starts uh, looking real skittish out there and he starts uh, turning sideways and 
looking for ways out, I, I feel like Darko will knock him out. So I'm going to go with Darko by uh, an early third-round knockout. Yeah, I mean, you said it well. You know, Devin Clark, he's very athletic, but he's so spastic with his stand-up. He really doesn't have much direction in there. And I think the reason why so much action is coming in on him to the point where he was a dog, now he's the favorite, is because people are overhyping the fact that he dropped Rackage twice in that fight. And Darko Stosic, I know he's kind of stiff. I know he's kind of a muscle head. But like you said, man, the guy keeps his hands up and uh, it's pretty damn technical. It doesn't force anything, doesn't do anything unnecessary. Just uh, has a very solid meat and potatoes type game. And if he doesn't do you know some kind of young mistake here, I see him coming out here and knocking out a guy like Devin Clark. You know, Devin, you know, it, it was fun while it lasted. He got to be John Jones punching bag at Greg Jackson's MMA. You know what I mean? And now it's time to take another canvas nap, and uh, I'm going to take Darko Stosage inside the distance here. Now, next up in the women's featherweight division, we got Duda Santana. She's 3-0, and Bay Malecki is 1-0. Currently, they got Bay Malecki minus 125. The comeback on Eduarda Santana is plus 105. Well, uh, we're going to hit up our good friend Chell Sonnen for some analysis on this matchup. I don't really understand what the big deal is. One of them's a punching bag, and the other one I just ignore. He's really irrelevant. But So, I think that was some pretty on-point uh, analysis by Chell Sonnen. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Nick Hine. He's 14-4, and four, and Frank Camacho is 21-7. and seven. Currently, they got Frank Camacho minus 115 and Nick Hine is minus 105. Well, Shaq, Nick Hine is very good at going out here and winning these decisions. And Frank Camacho throws very hard, throws some concussive blows. Uh, which way are you lean? I think Nick Hine used to be really good at winning those decisions. I think, you know, both guys have good fighting spirit. You know, I have the utmost respect for both of them. It seems like ever since Nick Hine kind of had that botched attempt to go to 145 pounds, in which he was actually supposed to welcome uh, Zabit Magomed Sharipov to the UFC. But uh, then he bounced back up to 155. He had that big surgery. I'm not necessarily sure what it was. But uh, there's really not much shame in his losses. Um, I would feel like Kine's issues are most sort that Father Time has just caught up with him, man. I don't think it's necessarily a skill thing. In fact, I think overall he's probably a better fighter than Frank Camacho. I just think that his durability has definitely uh, weakened since uh, he was a 6-1 and fighter. He used to be 6-1 and or 5-1, and 6-1, and whatever it was. And now he's, uh, he's, what, three in a row? Or just two? Two, two in a row. And... Uh, in the fight before that against Yasuki Kasuya, you know, a big favorite, I actually bet on him in that fight. And uh, he was, uh, I don't want to say he won. He clearly won, but it, it just wasn't the performance you were expecting from a guy like Hine. It just shows that he's on a decline. His fight with Taihun Bang wasn't that impressive either. I feel like Frank Camacho, although uh, he's also doesn't really see the results, he's 1-3. I feel like he hasn't really had a, a easy fight in the UFC. He fought Li Jingliang. Uh, a 170 fought Jeff Neal at 170 fought Drew Dober. Uh, he was able to get that win over Damian Brown in which he missed weight. After the fight with Neal, he's got a chance to reset. I feel like he's got more to prove. I feel like uh, they gave him that second contract for a reason. They appreciate his fighting style. I feel like this gives him a chance to, you know, be a little comfortable. He switched camps. He uh, went to Team Oyama. Let's see, let's see what he does. I feel like he's going to come out here, put the pressure on Hine, get a first-round knockout, and get back on track. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I do feel like Hine's probably the better overall fighter. Fighter, but I just feel like his issues are more so with father time and his durability. And Camacho hits like a truck. So uh, I'm going to go with Camacho by knockout. You, you want to explain to them why they re-signed 1-3 Camacho but fired 8-3 uh, uh, Elias? <laughs> exactly, because Camacho comes out there and he swings. 
And he puts his life out on the line every time, man. And when you got the other guy who's out here twirling like a ballerina and, you know, throwing a hammer fist from the outside and he's a ring girl on the side, you know, I mean. Because <laughs> apparently people didn't know why. <laughs> Everyone was acting surprised. I was like, man, I didn't but know how many Frank, fans. Uh... Frank, Frank loses every fight, but he still gets a new contract because you know what? They're like, man, that guy fights. I wasn't aware Elias had so many fans, you know what I mean? Look, he's a nice guy, but uh, fighting style-wise, uh, as far as his matchup with Frank Camacho and Nick Hine, look, a couple years ago, I think Nick Hine would uh, weather that early storm and went out there and won the decision, but man, he's just been looking a lot older, a lot slower, and I feel like in this day and age, you can't really be a five foot six lightweight anymore, man. You're that short. You got to be going to featherweight. You got to be going to bantamweight, but the guy's about to turn 36 years old. He already tried to go to featherweight. Yeah, it, didn't, it didn't work out the first time. It's not going to work out this time, and Frank Camacho, you know, if, you, uh, if you're durable, if you're smart, you'll probably go out there and beat him, and Nick Hine has one of those things. He's smart, but he's not durable anymore. I just feel like, uh, you know, Father Time is catching up with him. He's not as fast as he used to be. He's starting to get dropped in fights. And uh, I'm going to go with Frank Camacho via first-round knockout. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Leonardo Santos. He's 16-3. and And Stevie Ray is 22-8. and Currently, they got Leonardo Santos minus 200. The comeback on Stevie Ray is plus 170. Well, Shaq, this is the first time in three years that we've seen Leo Santos fight. As you know, you finished Kevin Lee, you finished Tony Martin, beat Adriano Martins. Now he's coming back off that three-year layoff. He's taking on Stevie Ray, who's coming off a win as well. Who you got in this lightweight matchup? Man, I'll never forget that day he starts Kevin Lee. Uh, oh, look, Kevin's acting cocky again. You know, Kevin went out there with his hands uh, hands down, thinking he's, like he said, he was waiting for Leo to fall. And next thing you know, he was the one that fell and, uh, and he got embarrassed. So... And then he seems, said it was early stoppage. <laughs> seems like things haven't changed for Kevin Lee. <laughs> but uh, now, nah, Leo, man, like you said, he beat Rocco Martin. He beat Kevin hey, Lee. He didn't beat Rocco Martin. He beat Tony he, Martin. He, to, yeah, Tony Martin. He didn't, he didn't beat Rocco Martin. But uh, he beat Tony Martin at 155s. Uh, he he did win the the Ultimate Fighter Brazil tough due to Pons uh, pulling out. So, you know, he, he's got a lot of accomplishments. So on paper, I would definitely see why he deserves to be favored. But like you said, three years off, and especially three years off in the division that he's in, we're not talking about, like, you know... Heavyweight. Uh, heavyweight or something. We're talking about lightweight, the best division in the UFC. So I definitely am expecting a little drop-off from Leo. And we already saw a drop-off prior in between the Kevin Lee fight and the Martins fight, you know. Turns out that night when him and Martins were fighting, that was two old Brazilian men out there having a sparring contest because then Martins goes out there, gets knocked out by Cajun and cut from the UFC. You know, he's taking L's out here. And then uh, Leo hasn't fought since. And that third round, Adriano, Adriano was kind of getting street with him, man. He, uh, he kind of broke Leo in that third round, which was something that wasn't happening and because he was already, you know, a little old prior to that, man. So now we got three years off. And now he's fighting Stevie Ray. You know, Stevie Ray is a guy that is, just seems like his job was on the line the other day. And a lot of people think he lost to Ayari his last fight. And, you know, I disagree. You know, I feel like that was a... Uh, that was the job of Jimmy Smith's bad commentating, man. You know, he kept on talking about Ayari, Ayari, this, Ayari, that. But Stevie was landing the left the entire fight. So I feel like if you actually watch the fight without any sound, you'll kind of get a better understanding of what actually happened. And I feel like Stevie looked a lot better. He looked a lot in better shape. And it's not necessarily saying Stevie's a better fighter than Leo Santos. I just feel like the line's completely off. I feel like Stevie's been fighting through these three years. And although Stevie hasn't had the best moments, he's still a 5-3 and three UFC 
fighter. Six and three. Six and three UFC fighter. He's solid. This guy hasn't fought in three years. I felt like Stevie looked a lot better on point his last fight. Um, you know, he didn't go to try for start for this one, but the fact that his job was on the line, I feel like it lit a fire under him a little bit. I feel like uh, there's value on him in the spot, and I think he comes out here and gets a, a decision win over Leo. I feel like Leo's going to... This is where you're going to really see him pull a Nova, what I like to call the Nova out here. You know, maybe have a good first round, but in that second and third, you know, the footwork of Stevie, the angles, I feel like uh, he will start to pull Brazilian stunts and possibly even look for ways out. Yeah, look, Leo Santos, a couple years back in 2015, which uh, was about four years ago, dude was a fucking badass. And not to mention he was about uh, 35, 36 years old back then. You know what I mean? Uh, the guy, the guy's a real beast. He fought Takanori Gomi 12 years ago. You know what I mean? Maybe 20. But, like, I, I got so much respect for him. That fight against Kevin Lee was such a pinpoint performance. You know, he's really... Uh, picking him apart with that jab. He even mixed in a blast double, took his back, knocked him out with a slip right. It was very, very beautiful. The fight before that against Tony Martin went out there and finished him. But you guys know that uh, Tony Martin left 155 pounds for a reason, right? You guys know that Tony Martin would gas out after the first round every single fight at 155 pounds, right? You know he's a completely different man at 170. So it's like, yeah, now on his resume you look, oh, he, oh, he finished Tony Martin. But it's like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> OAM beat Tony Martin at 155 pounds. Like, beating Tony Martin at 155 pounds don't mean shit. And uh, he beat an undeveloped Kevin Lee, which, like, you know, I respect Kevin Lee. He went on to fight for the interim championship. But if you haven't figured out that Kevin Lee's a total head case and a fraud, then I don't know what to tell you, man. But uh, Leo Santos, look, he got that first-round knockout. Much respect. You'd think after that knockout, the performance of his career, he's going to elevate. He's going to go on a big title run. Well, his next fight against uh, Adriano Martins about a year later Man, talk about a talk about a drop off. Talk about a decline. Talk about a three round sparring session where uh, Leo uh, started pulling that Brazilian stunt in that third round. Man, uh, he was very gassed out. It was very ugly. And uh, since that point, we haven't heard from him since. It's been three years since the last time he fought. He's about to turn 40 years old on his next birthday. And this ain't like heavyweight where you can be 40, 41, 42, go out there, get your second win. If you're 40 years old in that 155-pound division, expect uh, the young up-and-comers to go out there and uh, and feast on your remains. And Stevie Ray, I know he's not necessarily the definition of a young up-and-comer, but the guy's still in his 20s. And uh, he's got a lot of experience. I mean, the guy's a former Cage Warriors world champion. But I felt like when he was on that two-fight skid, he had to make a decision that, listen man it's time to evolve and he could have uh, taken that L to Ayari been out the UFC but man I saw a guy who put work in in the weight room I saw a guy who was focused I saw a guy who went out there with a three-round game plan stuck to it the entire time very disciplined and did exactly what he needed to do now on paper Stevie actually throws more strikes than Leo Santos so during Leo's prime when, uh, you know what I mean, when he's not coming off the three-year layoff, when he's not almost 40 years old, Stevie already threw more than him. Now, let's mix in the three-year layoff and the fact that he's about to be 40 years old. And I see uh, Stevie outpointing him. If this goes to decision, I think Stevie's going to win. But, man, I think there's a chance he knocks uh, Leo Santos out, man, because you can't just be taking that, t that much time off in a division like that, coming back in there 40 years old, and expect to just have the success you had when you fought an undeveloped uh, Kevin Lee and a uh, Tony Martin that had no business at 155 pounds. So 
I'm going to go with Stevie Ray here. And yeah, he's got to look out for the world-class ground game of Leo Santos. We know Leo is a great black belt, but I'm sure Stevie knows that too. Don't let this guy with 25% takedown accuracy take you down and you most likely win this fight. So this fight should be lined closer. I'm going to go with Stevie Ray for the upset. Now, next up in the women's bantamweight division, we got Tanya Evinger. She's 19 and 8. And Lena, the elbow queen Landsberg, is 8 and 4. Well, Shaq, someone the other day posted this clip of uh, Mike Perry knocking out Jake Ellenberg with an elbow and he's like who's got better elbows than uh Mike Perry so I, you know I subquoted it and I said uh Lena the elbow queen Landsberg and a bunch of people thought I was serious but uh who you got in this matchup both girls are probably on their way out the last leg of their careers Landsberg the elbow queen my god I, elbow frog I mean, come on now um She's just, she's tough, you know, but she's, she's 37, you know, something, somewhere around there, 36, 37, um, and she's really not seen the results, her only wins over Pudilova, in which she kind of lost that fight, her face was, so, in which she admitted that Lucy was the winner in the post-fight speech, and then she beat Gina Mazzani, who we know isn't very good, and she's, we, we like Gina for other things, you know. <laughs> but uh, Evinger, I feel like she hasn't seen the UFC results. But, hey, man, she's been in there with Aspen Ladd, you know, Cyborg. She's coming off an injury. Uh, Damn, they've both been in there with both of them. Oh, yeah, that's true. They both got smashed on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I feel like Evinger, I feel like she's due for a win here. Just skill set for skill set. I feel like she's the, the definitely the better wrestler, the definitely the better uh, person in the clinch. Yeah, she's getting up there in age, and that can make uh, the fight play out a little closer. And there probably is some value on Lena, but personally, you know, I think Evinger's going to pull the win out. I feel like she's a little meaner, a little tougher, slightly better cardio, and just a little more hungrier for a win. Not saying that Lena's not hungry. She's fighting in her hometown, Sweden, but... You know, Evinger, man, she she beat Arena, she beat Kunitskaya, she beat all these girls. Uh, you know, it's probably time for her to get a win. I feel like she's just going to be a little hard-nosed and, and scrape out a win here. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree. The big error or big hole in Lena Landsberg's game is her takedown defense and doesn't seem like she's made really any effort to try to patch that up can't get up from bottom. This whole elbow queen thing is a total myth. I mean, look, Tanya Evinger... Not the best, kind of up there in age, but she's way more physical than Lena Landsberg, much more experienced, and probably more well-rounded, too. So for that reason, I'll take the favorite, Tanya Evinger, to get a get a rear naked choke win here. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got two newcomers. We got Sergey Kandosko. He's 26-5, and five, and Rostam Akman is 6-0. and no. Currently, they got Sergey Kandosko. He's minus 165. The comeback on Rostam Akman is plus 145. Well, Shaq, Sergey Kandosko was originally supposed to fight Bartos the Butcher, Fabinski. Now he's taking on Rostam Akman. You know these guys taking these fights on a week short notice haven't really been doing that well historically, except for my boy uh, Casey Kenny. Who you got in this one? And Heinish. And Heinish. Yeah, like you said, we got one guy who's had a full camp, and we got one guy who's coming in on a week and some change notice. So, you know, I automatically favor Kondosko. The, the Bartos fight would have probably would have not went his way. Definitely seems like he struggles on the mat. Uh, his his striking is really fundamental. He's got good fundamental kickboxing. It seems like the Rossum guy just likes to move forward doesn't seem very athletic but you know i, I haven't honestly tr uh seen much of him so i have to favor Kondosko. i think uh he's gonna you know land some nice jabs a spinning back kick here and there uh, you know move and just uh russian coast this victory you know i feel like sergey is gonna get his first ufc win here yeah i agree man i mean look like we already said these guys taking these fights on a week short notice into the ufc 
hasn't been translating. Rostam Akman's never fought anything in his life. He's fought a bunch of guys with losing records. And then when he finally fought a guy with a winning record, uh, that guy wasn't uh, necessarily on a hot streak himself. And with Sergey Kondosko, he knows what it's like to win. He knows what it's like to lose. He's had over 30 pro fights. He's seen it all at this point, man. So I got to go with the experience of Sergey Kondosko. Mix that experience with the fact that uh, the guys had a full camp for this fight. So... I'm going to go with the Russian as well, uh, Sergey Kondosko. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Daniel Tamor. He's 6-3, and three, and the Korean Falcon, Sung Bin Jo, is 9-0. and oh. Currently, they got Sung Bin Jo, minus 140. The comeback on Daniel Tamor is plus 120. Well, Shaq, uh, big actions come in on Daniel Tamor, man. Uh, the line's dropped over 30 cents. You think people realize uh, that this is a... Uh, <laughs> that this is the brother. This is this is not David Tamor. Guys, it's not his brother. It's the, it's the shitty Tamor, not the good, <laughs> not the good one. <laughs> you know, so uh, just make sure you guys know it's not his brother, not the guy that beat Jakar and Lando and Nick Lentz. Like it's the guy that you know loses every fight. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know this is gonna be a good fight, man. You know, Tamor. Let's just be honest here. Personally, I don't think he's UFC caliber. Never has been, and he never will be. I think this is uh he got signed on on the fact that he probably got signed around the time his brother was getting these 50k bonuses for his fights with Lando, and his little bro told him, please sign my big bro. He took me to the gym when I was little, you know. So I feel like uh and, and so so we talk about his three UFC fights against Danny Henry, who in my opinion. I mean, that guy striking is terrible. I feel like his chin was sky high in the air, and Tamor had every chance for those first three minutes to knock him out, and he couldn't do that. And then the second time, the second Henry uh, fought back and hit him with a shot, he turned away, looked at his corner, and started looking for it each and every way out. Got dropped with body shots. He got taken down, completely dominated on the mat the last two rounds. It was a hellacious beating, and it seems like he hasn't gotten his confidence back since. He fought Julio Arce, did nothing for two rounds. Julio, you know, Julio just uh, fought safe, and then choke him out in the third round then he fights fishy and then uh same thing man it gets worse it, gets, it got worse honestly you know he had moments in that fight too fishy was slipping off his back he was standing on top of him not doing anything besides trying to like kick his legs and uh, eventually Fishko got out of it and tapped him out in the second round right away man so i feel like Tamor is showing that he's not really ufc caliber even when you look at his local scene fights he just hit the guys one time they fall down but not to mention about the times where he's fighting these bums and he's getting knocked out and then the ref stops the fight and then he's uh able to come back and get a get a submission win he, that's a complete fraud you know i feel like chun bing so sung bin joe might not be the best guy in the world but he's way better than tamor man he's actually a real mma fighter that earned his spot here i think uh, he's got better stand-up better cardio for sure more ways to win better jujitsu way bigger taller I feel like Tamor's nothing's gonna change. I feel like the first two minutes of the fight are gonna be entertaining, but then eventually Sung Sung uh, Bing Joe's gonna hit him with the straight right and TKO this guy. You know, uh, when he gets on top, he'll elbow his head and and that'll be that. And Tamor will get his walking papers once and for good. You think that after Tamor gets knocked out here, he can protest to the ref and maybe have them restart the fight like <laughs> like in that local fight he had? You know, uh, he'll be out unconscious this time. You know, you guys need to go back and watch this local fight that Daniel Tamor had because first. Well, the guy has zero business in the UFC. His whole 6-0 record to get to the UFC is complete bullshit because he got knocked out stiff on this regional fight. The ref uh, steps in, calls the fight, perfectly great stoppage, opponent celebrating. But since he was in Sweden, and apparently these guys are a little bit connected, uh, Daniel started complaining. They got a restart on a fight that had already been called off due to knockout. And, of course, uh, 
Damore's opponent was like, what the fuck, got taken down, got subbed. So, you know, it was uh, one of those things where it was like the corruption. It was total bullshit. Guy has no business in the UFC. Goes in there against Danny Henry. Landed a couple shots on the tall man with tall man defense in the first three minutes. Gassed out. Got his ass beat the next two rounds badly. Got broken in a way where his confidence never recovered. Next fight against Julio Arce. I mean, that was a clinic third round finish and then against chris fishgold it's like hey man here's your chance against a guy who has a suspect gas tank here's your chance against a guy who is also a total fraud and a former cokehead coming into the ufc that you know probably doesn't have any business here either uh and then uh tamor gets on top of fishgold it's like hey man here's your chance start pounding on him and guess what guess what tamor decides to do he's like i'm gonna instead of pounding this guy out and keeping him you know staying on top of him when we know this guy has zero get up game and is not going to get up from bottom let's drop back for a leg lock and uh i mean that's all i gotta say not only is he a shitty fighter his fight iq is uh horrendous as well here against the korean falcon i know people are going to bring up that one fight that the korean falcon had where you know that one guy was getting off on leg kicks and hey he was getting off on leg kicks but Taymor doesn't have the gas tank to do that for three straight rounds. He might do it for three minutes, but after that, it's going to win. And not to mention, if you're going to bring up how that one guy was teeing off with leg kicks, don't conveniently leave out what uh, what Sung Bin Joe did to that guy <laughs> once he decided to turn up. When Sung Bin Joe turned up on that guy, it was some violence. And that guy he beat, by the way, was one of Korean Zombie's protégés. So... He destroyed that guy right in front of Korean Zombie. And it almost seemed like Korean Zombie should have hit up my boy Song Bin Joe and been like, hey, come join the team because that was some Korean Zombie type shit. And, oh, yeah, yeah, Dong Young Kim's his hero. But, uh, so I mentioned how, you know, he might be susceptible to leg kicks. Well, where's a good place to address that part of your game? How about we go to Tiger Muay Thai? So since that fight, he went to Tiger Muay Thai January of this year. He's been there five months. I mean, if that's not a place that's going to teach you how to check leg kicks and or return with counters of your own, I, then I don't know what place is. I feel like this kid's made the proper adjustments. He's addressing uh, his situation seriously. Not to mention, he's just the longer, better fighter. He's a bigger guy, more well-rounded. His ground and pound is vicious. He can win by submission. He can win by knockout. He can accumulate. And he's just playing tough, great cardio. Uh, I, I see Sung Bin Joe getting a second or third round knockout here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Demir, the Bosnian bomber, Hadzovic. He's 13-4. and four, And Christos, the Spartan, Giagos, is 16-7. and seven. Currently, they got Demir Hadzovic, minus 170. The comeback on Christos Giagos is plus 150. Well, Shaq, Demir Hadzovic opened minus 275. Now he's minus 170. Tons of action coming in on Christos Giagos. Do they know that, uh, you know, Christos, uh, the Spartan, is just a bodybuilder? <laughs> You know, this is another fight where I feel like one guy's getting overestimated here, and that's Christos Giagos. You know, uh, Demir Hatsovich, yeah, he did have some up and up and downs early on in his UFC career. He lost to Alain Patrick, Maribek Tysimov. Oh, big whoopee. He got knocked out by Tysimov in his debut. Like, And then uh, Alain Patrick, um, you know, they say that Demir has got bad takedown defense, and I, I disagree because I feel like it's improving. And what do uh, Marcin Held and Alain Patrick have in, in common? They're both jiu-jitsu world champions. Um, what's Christos Giagos never going to be in his life? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, a jiu-jitsu world champion. The, guy, the guy goes face first when he's trying to get takedowns against Pugnus. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I feel like people are overestimating Christos' skill set. I feel like Demir is clearly the better fighter here. Although he doesn't have the record to necessarily support those claims on paper, man. This guy is getting better fight to fight. 
like we said, since the Patrick fight, it seems like when his job was on the line when he fought Nick Hine in Germany, I don't know how that fight was a split decision, but he broke down Nick Hine with that jab, ended up dropping him really bad in the third round, and if you look at Nick Hine's face at the end of that fight, you know, it was really brutal, and then he goes out there in Polo Reyes where the fight was a pick -em. People still weren't on Demir like that, and uh, people were saying Polo Reyes had better power and uh, gonna knock him out, and he broke down Polo Reyes on the feet. He, you know, showed new skills in, uh, in his game with that takedown, and he pounded Polo Reyes his head into the man man the guy's showing that he's getting better he's showing that he's a class above above these guys now um that they like the christos giagos of the world so you know i feel like this is going to be demir's coming out party christos yeah he's got good athletic traits he's got power he's got a, a good double leg but i don't feel like he can maintain any of those things throughout the course of a 15 minutes i feel like the guy has bad cardio and i feel like just Technique for technique, Demir is way smarter. Christos doesn't use his head in there. He's terrible. Although he, he might get a takedown here and there, what about when Pugnus is fully mounting him? What about uh, when he's getting taken down, you know? So I just feel like they're two different uh, calibers of fighter. And I feel like Demir is going to show that here on uh, Saturday night both uh, with a knockout. Yeah, look, I mean, Christos Giagos is so overhyped in the spot. It's ridiculous. You're telling me because he went there and beat Hiroda, who... Literally everyone that's fought Hiroda has beat Because he did good versus Charles for a second. No, he didn't. Charles beat him on the feet. So because, <laughs> so because he got finished in under one and a half rounds like he was supposed to, now the guy's, you know, a live dog kid. Charles. Oh, man. He, he didn't get finished in the first minute. He got finished in the first seven minutes. It's like, oh, man. Oh, man. Christos is improving so much. I mean, listen. People, the reason they're picking him here is because they saw that he was able to take down Hirota, which, if you haven't figured out how to take down Hirota yet... Real quick, Hirota lost to fucking Rodrigo, damn, like... <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention, Hirota was getting hood with, uh, with Christos in that third round, you know what I'm saying? Tell me why, you know, people are like, oh, he's this great American wrestler, which, first of all, no, he's not, but, uh, tell me why when Christos is going for those takedowns, he goes face first, belly down into the mat, I mean, it's, uh... He's a, he's a border, he's... Christos Giagos is the guy that you beat to make it to the UFC. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's the... Yeah, look, Christos Giagos is going to have a lot of success in a Tough Mudder competition. He's going to do great in his CrossFit. Like, you know what I mean? He can go run the Ironman, but as far as inside the UFC's octagon, just because you have big muscles and a six-pack doesn't mean that you're a good fighter. At least with Demir Hatsovic, yeah, he got taken down a million times by Alain Patrick, a fucking jiu-jitsu world champion. He got taken down by Marcin Hell, a jiu-jitsu world champion. He got knocked out by Tysumov, a guy who would fucking launch Christos into the 10th row. So I just don't really see what the big deal is here. I feel like Demir is the more technical fighter than Christos Giagos. I feel like he's more composed in there. And why is, uh, again, why is Christos... Uh, you know, flailing to his back against Hirota in that third round. You know, someone's going to be like, oh, but every fighter gets tired. Listen, not every fighter gets full mounted by Hirota in that third Pugna, round. Not versus 38-year-old Pugnus. You know? Like, you're supposed to finish that guy, or at least 30-25 him, you know? You know, you, you're the one that was getting mounted. Someone's going to be like, but Volkanovski didn't finish him. Go back and watch that fight. Volkanovski did finish him. The ref just <laughs> didn't step in. I mean, he knocked him out and woke him back up with a follow-up. You know what I mean? That's, uh, you know, props to my boy Pugnus on that one. But the Christos fight was way closer. Uh, I just think Christos is a local-level fighter. So, And that's no disrespect. That's just my assessment. So I'm going with Demir here by default. I think that... I just think he's better everywhere, man. I think the jab's going to be there, and I don't think he's going to get taken down by Christos maybe more than once. And once they hit that fatigue state, I see Demir teeing off on him. I'm going to go with Demir be a third-round knockout. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Chris Fishgold. He's 18-2, and, and Makwan Amir Khani is 14-3. Currently, 
They got Chris Fishgold minus 115 and Makwan Amirkani is minus 105. Shaq, these two have been talking a lot of shit. And uh, it's going to go down this Saturday night in Stockholm. Which way are you leaning? Yeah, you know, I kind of felt like the mind games are going to be a big factor in this fight because, uh, you know, Makwan, when he comes out of his hole for one that one time a year, he uh, he likes to get emotional with these guys, man. You saw what happened on him and Night Fought. Uh, now Fishy, Fishy's... He's really mad, man. Uh, Maquan said some mean things to him on the internet, bro. So, you know, let's see if Fishy uh, defends himself and knocks Maquan out, you know. So, as, as far as how they match up, Maquan's got the, the good wrestling credentials. Fishgold's a black belt. But although Fishy being a black belt, man, he's had moments where he's been reversed a lot on that mat. You know, even prior to the UFC and Cage Warriors, you know, you watch his fights with Heron Webb. He's out here getting reversed. What regional scene is Heron Webb from? He's from Alaska. <laughs> You know, uh, you're you telling know, me an Alaskan regional scene guy's winning rounds off Fishgold? Yeah, reversing them. Yeah, uh, you know you got Tamor shaking him off his back. You know, a black belt. Which, which Tamor? The the shit the shit Tamor. You know when a black belt gets on Tamor, the shit Tamor's back. It's supposed to be over. You know what I'm saying? And uh, eventually it was, but there should be no slip offs, no nothing. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that he's a fake black belt, but. Uh, <laughs> Who's he a black belt under? I just want to know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, Fishy, he's strong on the feet. It seems like Maquan's getting a little better. He has been. He took, like, six amateur boxing fights in the midst of his last fight, so that's what he's been up to. He's trying to get his hands better. And low-key, I feel like his hands have gotten better. Now, I know he did get dropped twice against Knight. That definitely happened, 100%. But just the overall picture of things in comparison to what his hands used to be to what they are now, yeah, you see him out here. He's got the, he always had the right hook, but now he's out here throwing, uh, you know, straights after that right hook now and now that the fight he's took these six amateur fights you know maybe he comes with uh something else man and that's where i feel like fishy of course he has the power edge he definitely commits more to to his punches like we saw in the in the calvin fight and uh even on his local fights but how long can he keep that up what are fishy wins most of his fights in the first round and generally historically speaking you stretch fishy out he struggles you know what i'm saying so fishy's probably going to start strong here probably be a little emotional, probably try to t probably try to take Maquan's head off. And he might win that first round, but the second Fishy gets tired, he turns into a really sloppy fighter. I mean, you saw what happened in that Tamor fight. That was really low level. That you know, he should have he should have it should have been one takedown fight over with Tamar, you know what I'm saying? With a with a real black belt. So uh I feel like Maquan's gonna win rounds two and three. I feel like he's the more efficient round more efficient fighter in rounds two and three. I feel like you're gonna see improvement in his hands from here on out. Fishy's gonna gas really bad in rounds two and three. And I feel like Maquan's going to take him down whenever he wants. I think he's going to out-scramble Fishy on the mat. And I think Maquan's going to get the win here. Someone please let me know who gave uh, Chris Fishgold his black belt. I'd love to know. But as far as his matchup's concerned, the wrestling isn't even close. Maquan Amirkani, I know because he's got this funny personality that people kind of discredit his fighting abilities. But dude's got a fucking serious body lock, a serious entry. And if you don't believe me that he's a pretty damn good fighter, go watch that fight with Arnold Allen because I'm... Pretty damn high on Arnold Allen, undefeated in the UFC, about to fight Gil Melendez. And uh, Maquan had a nice split decision fight with him. That was a very good back-and-forth fight. But, man, uh, like you mentioned, he's been improving his striking. I know against Jason Knight, you know, when he's got his hands up in the air and, you know, and they're talking shit to each other, he got cocky. He got caught there. But, man, he was still catching him with some right hooks in he that wobbled, fight. I man. felt like oh, he did wobble Knight. I felt like, man, Maquan has been putting in work with his stand-up. But I was just... I got to put more emphasis on how impressed I am with his wrestling because going into this, you know, I kind of thought it was this joke. I kind of thought, oh, let's fade Maquan. But, man, the motherfucker can tie up. He's strong as hell. He can wrestle his ass off, no joke. And 
that could be a path to victory here against Chris Fishko. Look, Chris is going to come out hard in that first round, but like Shaq already mentioned, he historically does slow down that fight with Calvin Cater. I mean, Calvin didn't even know who the hell the guy was. Calvin was just feeling him out, letting him throw every single thing he has, and then when Calvin decided uh, it's time to throw that one-two down the middle, he knocked him out with the first punch. So... I mean, then after that, you put him in there with Tamor. It's like, hey, you don't got to fight the top 15 Calvin Cater no more. Here's Daniel Tamor on a silver platter, and it's like, Chris, go finish this guy in the first round. Then all of a sudden, it's Tamor that's on top of Fishgold. And like I mentioned earlier in my Tamor breakdown, Tamor could have stayed on top. Sorry, pounding on him, but... As you know, uh, Tamor does what Tamor does. Tamor decided to drop back for a leg lock, and they just got into a very low-level fight. And then Chris Fishgold is shooting for these takedowns from a mile out, and <laughs> he goes face-first into the mat like Christos Giagos. I mean, it was some of the ugliest stuff I've ever seen in my life. And look, unless Maquan pulls a monumental stunt here, I feel like he's going to take over the later rounds and grind this one out, man. So I'm going Maquan Amir Khani via a very wrestling heavy decision here now next up in the light heavyweight division we got jimmy the poster boy manuel he's 17 and 5 and alexander rakic is 11 and 1 currently they got alexander rakic minus 210 the comeback on jimmy manuel is plus 175 well shack a lot of people are saying alexander rakic is the top prospect at 205 pounds now i know johnny walker and mccall olegzaychuk might have something to say about that but that being said, he's got the very dangerous Jimmy Manuel in front of him. You think he gets past this test? So it's a tough test for for Ratchik. You know, Ratchik, like you said, allegedly he's the number one prospect at two hundred five, but he's he's out here getting dropped by Clark and shit. But uh, <laughs> twice, you know, Lord McCall and Johnny Walker would never get dropped by such a by such a man. That's all I'm gonna say. But Ratchik, yeah, I mean, look, he's one thing I like about Ratchik. It seems like he's got a, a good team behind him. You know, it seems like they come up with very good game plans. It seems like he's very disciplined. And it seems like he, he'll stick to that game plan, and he has no issue going 15 minutes. He's very efficient. I mean, look at his numbers, you know. He's a, he's a very efficient fighter. And it definitely shows Jimmy Manoa, I feel like, definitely is a step up above uh, Francimar Bajozo. What's who? who? The guy that lost to John Volante and who's taking the else in Bellator and shit. Who? <laughs> uh, not Bellator, but uh, PFL. And then you got... Uh, then he fought Justin Ledet, who thinks the earth's flat, and then he, <laughs> and then he fought uh, then he fought Devin Clark, man. So you know this is a big step up, not like not like not too big of a step up, but like a noticeable step up. You know this ain't <laughs> Jimmy Manuel, though. He's definitely lost three in a row. He lost to uh, Jan Blakovich. He lost to Volkan Ozdemir. And Tiago Santos, you know, guys that are, you know, in that top six in the 205-pound division. Ratchet is still proving himself. So, you know, I feel like Jimmy's durability is definitely the issue here. I feel like it's uh, kind of like Nick Kine. It's not really skilled skills that are the issues for them. It's just the durability, man. They're old now. Man, you know, Tiago, I, I can't even compare Ratchet and Tiago Mejeda Santos and Ozdemir at the time. I, I haven't really seen that one-punch KO power from, from Ratchet yet, but I just feel like Ratchet is probably going to play this safe, but he's going to get tested, man, because Jimmy walks forward the entire time, and Jimmy's really big, but the thing is, Jimmy just can't simply take the punches that he used to, and with that style, you have to be able to eat, uh, to eat, you know, the return shots. So, you know, I, I have to favor Ratchet, maybe not minus 210 type of favorite. You know, I would kind of personally line it, you know, minus 160 Ratchet. But, you know, I feel like he's probably going to get the win here just due to Manuel's bad durability. Man, 
Very interesting fight. Huge step up for Alexander Rakic from Francie Marbajos, Justin Ledette, and Devin Clark. Now he gets to fight an actual top 10 guy in Jimmy Manoa, but he's catching him at the right time, man. You know, Jimmy Manoa has fallen on some hard times, but one thing about Jimmy Manoa, power never leaves. The dude's got a nasty left hook, man. I mean, you saw... When he hit uh, Corey Anderson with that thing to the temple, Corey just folded, man. He just went flying. And even some of uh, Jimmy Manuel's older highlights, the OSP fight, even prior. So Jimmy Manuel's a badass. And if Alexander Rakic thinks this is some kind of joke, he, uh, he could take a nap as well. But that being said, Alexander Rakic... He's got that good team. He comes in with the game plan. They do a lot of film. And I love this kid's leg kicks. I love the way he circles on the outside, throws some very hard kicks. He's starting to use his wrestling these days like you saw in the Ledette fight. So he's becoming a somewhat of a well-rounded fighter. Now, I know he got dropped by Devin Clark twice. He might have some of that Euro kickboxer chin, but... You know, and I know that interview where he's saying that, you know, he didn't have his boxing coach with him. That's why his boxing wasn't as sharp. But like, the bottom line is that he got hit on the chin and he went down. And he's man, got a kickboxing uh, chin. I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with having Euro <laughs> chin, my man. You know, Joanna and Jacek got it too, man. So, uh, Carolina. Carolina got it bad. We don't got to talk about that. Uh, but uh, listen, man, if Jimmy Manuel lands that big left hook, uh, I don't care how done he is. He can knock out Rakic. But that being said, the long-term battle will be will be won by Rakic. He's going to break him down with the leg kicks. He's going to mix in takedowns. And uh, by that time, when they get back up to the feet, I think Jimmy is going to be a little bit more tired. And that's where Rakic can kind of let it go, show off some of that kickboxing experience, and further uh, cement his claim to be the number one prospect at 205 according to a lot of people according to me johnny walker and mccall olegzaychuk are the two top prospects at 205 but rakic uh, we'll, we'll put him in the top five prospects for sure he's very talented i'm excited to see what he does i think he comes through for the win here and uh let's match him up with johnny walker or mccall next now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Volkan No Time Uzdemir. He's 15 and 4, and Ilir, <laughs> the horseman, Latifi, is 14 and 6. Currently, they got Volkan Uzdemir minus 120, and Ilir, the horse lord, Latifi, is plus 100. Uh, Shaq, you think Volkan Uzdemir is going to get back on track after this three fight skid, or you think Ilir Latifi is going to get back on track here? People are under the assumption that Volkan's last fight was a, was a robbery. You know, I disagree, man. I feel like Reyes. You know, arguably won that fight when you really watch it. Ozemir kind of ran into the same problems that he, <laughs> he always has, you know. Uh, it seems like he gets off to a good start. Or he's very easily, uh, you can definitely finesse him into using a lot more energy. I don't know if Latifi's a guy that's capable of that because we know that's Anthony Smith's specialty. And we know that, uh, you know, Reyes is a guy that, you know, uses a lot of, you know, just... He's six foot five. you know, he's got, a, he's got a lot of long weapons, Latif, and he was able to you know, uh, keep the points fairly close between the two. And now Latifi's a guy that he likes to back himself up. He likes to uh, just land these big shots. And if guys wobble, you know, he'll capitalize. But when you really look at who he's doing it against, I feel like Ozemir's had definitely the tougher road. You know, anytime Latifi's really step up in competition, he's gotten com not blown. He got knocked out by Ryan Bader. He got blown out the water, Corey. And Corey beat his ass. Fought, okay, he knocked out Sean O'Connell. Big, hey, Sean O'Connell's a millionaire. I can't, I can't hate. He won a million dollars last year. Um... <laughs> And then he beat uh, Tyson Pedro, who was 5-0. and Like, Tyson Pedro sucks. <laughs> and then, uh, then he beat OSP, who's on his way up. Who fought Orthodox. <laughs> who fought Orthodox with his chin sky high. And, you know, he was able to catch him. That's where I feel like Ozemir, man, that guy, 
lately, man. He's been through the gauntlet, man. He, he knocked out Manoa, then he had to fight Cormier, then Smith, a giant, then he fought uh, Reyes, a six-foot agile guy. Six-foot-five. Six-foot-five guy. So I feel like Latifi's one of his easier matchups in a long time, you know. So I feel like he's going to get the win here. I feel like Latifi's best chance is to clip him with something upstairs. But when I look at Ozdemir's chin and the shots, you know, there's, chance, there's a chance he can't take those shots anymore. But, man, Ozdemir is durable. Like, that guy... Could be completely gassed out, taking shots by Smith. You know, got these big, big guys. And, you know, Latifi definitely has the power. But when he tries to start wrestling, he gets more tired. And he he's not the toughest guy out there, man. So I feel like... I feel like uh, you're going to see Latifi, you know, swing heavy early. But in rounds two and three, you're going to see Ozdemir continually move forward. You know, not take no for an answer. And it's not going to be a pretty fight because Ozdemir is not a pretty fighter in those late rounds. But, you know, people say Ozdemir's got a bad, you know, bad cardio. In this particular matchup, I feel like his cardio is better than Latifi's. <laughs> so I got to go with Ozdemir here. So I think uh, Latifi, unfortunately, isn't going to get a win in Sweden again. So did you see uh, OAM's fighting Sarukian? Yeah. And uh, OAM will be out <laughs> the UFC pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, Latifi's kind of like the 205 Woodley, you know, that style. I mean, you know, he, he throw one big backs right hand. He backs himself into the fence, <laughs> lands one big right hand at a time. If you're Sean O'Connell or Hans Stringer or, you know, one of these guys, you might go down, Tyson Pedro, like, come on, guys. Uh, and he's allegedly a Swedish wrestling champion. Which, I mean, look, the guy hits hard. You can't take that away from him. He's got the horse lord gimmick, so you got to love him for that. You know, a five foot eight guy fighting at 205 pounds. I respect the guy. Alir Latifi seems like a cool guy. I'd hang out with him. But as far as picking this fight, Volkan's got the more output. Volkan's fought the, the tougher level of competition. Volkan's back is against the wall. He needs this win badly. I think he's going to land more shots than Latifi. I think he's going to keep this fight upright. And I think he's going to avoid the big bomb from Latifi. So uh, don't, don't be surprised if Volkan knocks him out. But I'm going to go with Volkan Ozdemir via decision just by landing the more shots over the three-round period. Hey guys, Shaq here. Things are heating up for us over here at Best Fight Picks in 2019. For this weekend, UFC Stockholm, Sweden, Gustafsson vs. Smith. We're giving you guys the option to buy the one event VIP package and get the next event free. That's UFC Stockholm in Sweden and then UFC 238, Cejudo vs. Marais. We're also giving away the one month VIP package. Buy one, get one free as well. Let's catch these bets. BestFightPicks.com. Main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division, we got Alexander Gu Gustafsson, he's 18 and 5, and Anthony Lionheart Smith is 31 and 14. Currently, they got Alexander Gustafsson minus 330. The comeback on Anthony Lionheart Smith is plus 270. Well, Shaq, Anthony Smith said he wanted some time off after the John Jones fight, but then they offered him uh, so something he couldn't refuse, which was Alexander Gustafsson in a main event in Sweden. You think Gustafsson gets it done at home or what? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good fight. A few years ago, I'd say, you know, these guys are definitely far apart. But like I said early on in the show, Alexander Gustafsson's 3-4 and four in his last seven fights with wins over Blackovich, Glover Teixeira, Jimmy Manoa. So when then Smith, uh, in his UFC run, I think he's what, 8-3, 9-3, something like that, you know. So I feel like, honestly, in current states, like I said, actually... Back when Gustafsson, uh, back when Smith was fighting John Jones, I even said I feel like guys like Smith and these guys are possibly a little tougher than uh, 
the Gustafsons of the world these days. And I'm not saying that you can compare how the fights went with each other, but one guy got their head smashed in and one guy went five rounds. <laughs> one guy had a chance to win. <laughs> so one guy laid a complete egg, you know, did absolutely nothing for three rounds and wasted everyone's time. After saying he was going to kill after the guy. Saying, after saying you already beat him, after saying all this shit about, you know, you know the steroids, this and that, which Anthony didn't bring up, but, you know, all that shit. And, and, that, and that's what he's the Kenny Florian of 205. So Kenny Florian mo most uh, won pretty much the majority of his non-title fights, but it's not it's not sit here and act like Gus has won every uh, non-title fight either, you know, especially in Sweden, you know. <laughs> so look, overall, yeah, Gus is the better fighter, skilled fighter, 100%, but none of that matters. We, we see guys... We see better fighters lose all the time, man. Um, perfect example, Andraj and, uh, and uh, Nami Yunus the other day, you know? So I feel like this line is definitely way too high for a guy like Gus, who, like I said, really hasn't done much in the last three, four years. I mean, yeah, he beat Glover to share it. Look, Glover is a nice guy, but Glover will never be in the top five at 205 ever again. He'll get these nice little wins over these prospects like Kudalaba and Roberson, and that was a good performance by Gustafsson, but Anthony would knock that guy too out in the, fir in the first round now. If you're in the top six, seven in the UFC, everyone, all those guys would knock out uh, Glover Teixeira. And this one over Blackovich is good, but at the time, Blackovich is out here losing to Pat Cummins, struggling with Igor the Duke, and then Jimmy Manoa. So, what's Gus really done the last few years, man? I lost another title fight. <laughs> he lost another title fight. How long can he hold that number two, number three place? You know, I feel like it's going to go downhill from now on. I feel like, you know, Gus in this fight, he's going to get off to a good start, probably feeling real good with his jab. But he's going to have to keep it together for five rounds because I don't think he's going to finish Anthony Smith straight up. I don't think, I'm not saying he's not capable, of, but I just don't think he's going to. I feel like Smith's going to be here for five rounds and Gus is going to have to win a decision. I don't think he's John Jones. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, he, he, he thinks he's John Jones at times, but uh, I feel like the second that Anthony lands a right hand on Gus's chin, I feel like he's going to start to have doubt. And I feel like it's probably going to come somewhere in, those, in that third round. And I feel like once that starts happening and you see a little blood, then you're going to see the tide of the fight just completely change you know i feel like then you're going to start seeing smith go forward and you're going to start to see him break gus in his home country of sweden he's going to get the fifth round uh stoppage you know i feel like he's going to get a big upset here oh look <laughs> gus lost another title fight <laughs> i mean look as far as his matchup is concerned alexander gustafsson is definitely the better fighter in terms of skill it's just a matter of where's his motivation at like does he still want to do this after you've lost three title fights i mean you got to know that unless uh Unless uh, DC and John Jones retire, you ain't touching that belt ever in your life. And not to mention, even if they do retire, he ain't touching shit. So let's just get that out there real quick. But uh, as far as him and Anthony Smith, look, I love Anthony Smith's mentality. I respect his resume, his toughness, everything. But man, he does some things that I'm just like, dude, like he'll just let people tee off on him and... You know, there's there's a method behind the madness. You know, he's waiting for you to gas out so he can take over. But when you're dropping rounds to guys like Hector Lombard, and I'm not talking about Lombard in his prime, but you know, when you're when you're dropping rounds to Lombard, Andrew Sanchez, all these guys, it's like, man, I gotta believe that someone like Alexander Gustafsson, who does have the better footwork, does have the more output, can go out there and get up on big enough of a lead to where this hits the scorecards, he can win that home country decision. But the thing is. 
one little fuck up, one little, you know, start to slow down. You start to show a little weakness to a guy like Anthony Smith. You start huffing and puffing, and he will tee off on you. He will start throwing those straights down the middle. He will start throwing those knees. He will, uh, you know what I mean? He'll start spinning here and there. He'll start throwing high kicks. So if Alexander Gustafsson, you know, coming off that title fight letdown, isn't really training as hard, kind of just trying to headline this this fight at home and go out, you know, and retire fighting in Sweden. It could end badly for him, but I, I just got to go with what I've seen in the skill sets. And I do think that Gustafsson uh, gets off on big enough of a lead to win the first three rounds. And then I'm not necessarily sure if he's going to win the championship rounds, but I have a feeling he's going to be able to hang on even if shit gets sketchy. So I'm going to go with uh, Gustafsson to win a split decision here. Well, now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle. The week off is finally over, and uh, UFC Stockholm is going down this Saturday. How's it going? Hey, not bad, man. Uh, excited to get back to printing money and look forward to doing it with you, bro. Likewise, my friend, because in the main event, we got Alexander Gustafsson taking on Anthony Smith. Both guys coming off title losses to John Jones. Uh, who do you think gets back on track? And more importantly, who do you think scores the big points in DraftKings? I think this is all Gustafsson here. Uh, it is going to be an all-in fight for me. I, I won't have a single GPP lineup without this fight uh, because it is five rounds. And whoever wins, I think, just is going to be on that 25K lineup. So it'll be in all my lineups, but mostly with Gustafsson. I think he's just better everywhere. can do whatever he wants here. Uh, can win it a decision on the feet. Uh, can win a decision with takedowns. Could get takedowns, get a ground and pound stoppage that way, could get a knockout on the feet. There's just so many ways for him to score highly, and I think he's just the more dominant fighter. Uh, so he's my favorite play on the board, and I'm going to have a lot of them this weekend. I think you can stack this fight in cash, uh, but Gustafson will be a lock in my cash lineup. Um, so, and, yeah, I, I think he gets it done probably third or fourth round, ground and pound, decision, uh, ground and pound finish. So you think basically he's going to go out there and put on a show start to finish? You don't think Anthony Smith is going to win a round in this fight? Nah, I really don't. No. So co-main event of the evening, Volkan Uzdemir is taking on Alir Latifi. Both guys looking to get back uh, in the win column. Uh, who do you think gets it done, man? Are you going with the taller Uzdemir? Are you going with the short Latifi? Uh, I'll take Uzdemir here. Uh, but it's really, I mean, with it being the co-main event, I think it's going to get a good amount of ownership on both sides, uh, uh, somewhat decent names on both sides. So overall, it's going to be in more than half the lineups in the field. So I think really the best play here is to maybe fade this fight. Uh, I don't see it scoring highly unless there is a knockout. I mean, both guys got power that could end this fight in a knockout, and then they will score highly. But you're relying on that knockout, likely for both sides. Latifi could go out there and get takedowns, but... Volkan won't. He's not going to be the first person to take Latifi down. So I just think we're, you're strictly relying on a knockout. And with more than half the field having this fight in there, you're not really getting a whole lot of leverage on that. So I think the fade is the way to go here. But I'll take Volkan uh, as my pick to win. I just think he's the better striker and he'll be able to keep this fight on the feet and win a striking decision. So Alexander Rakic is taking on Jimmy Manoa. A lot of people think Rakic might be one of the top prospects at 205 pounds. However, his last fight, he did get dropped by Devin Clark twice. We know Jimmy Manua can knock out anyone. Do you think the Brit Manua is live for a knockout upset here? Yeah, for sure. Uh, if he wins, it will be from a knockout. And if he gets a knockout, he will be on that 25K lineup. So he's for sure in play. Uh, he's the best fighter, best striker Rakic has ever fought. And he's definitely a better striker than Devin Clark. Um, so he's 
is for sure in play, but mostly for GPPs because you're chasing that upside if he does get the knockout. Uh, I just don't think he's going to get the knockout. I do think Rakic is the better fighter, especially at this point in Manuel's career. And if Rakic wants to go out there and get takedowns, then he's really in no danger at all in that scenario. It's just does he want to go out there and strike and, and really build his name off of Manua, or does he want to go out there and play it safe? If he plays it safe, I like his upside a lot more uh, than relying on the the knockdown and finish. Um, but either way, he has 100-point upside, so I like Rakic here. And he's only 8,900, so, uh, I mean, I like him more than some of the people in the 9K range. So I love this fight. It's, it's probably my favorite second favorite fight on the card to target in DraftKings, and it does have the highest fight doesn't go to decision line. So load up on this one, but my pick is Rackage. So Chris Fishgold is taking on Makwan Amirkani. It's interesting because you got the black belt in jiu-jitsu and Fishgold versus the wrestling champ, Makwan Amirkani. We know DraftKings guys love takedowns. Do you think Makwan Amirkani is going to get it done here? Um, so I don't know, man. I think, I think Fishgold is – the better fighter on the ground, but Americani is the better fighter at getting it to the ground. Uh, so I don't know. This is going to be a fun one. And I hope it does play out with a lot of grappling because that's the way this is going to be the most fun. But if it is stuck standing, I think Fishgold's got him outgunned there. He's just going to be the fighter throwing at a higher volume. Um, I think he throws heavier punches too. He's just the better overall striker in my opinion. Uh, so in a, a super close 50, 50 fight on the ground, I'd rather just go ahead and take Fishgold who I feel has a, a much bigger edge on the feet and if he can get it to the ground and in top position, I think he can get a submission. So I like Fishgold here. He's actually my free bet of the week. Uh, I think I got him at minus 112, minus 113, something like that for one unit. But let's go Fishgold. Right, so you got Kyle Marley giving out free bets right here, right now on Half the Battle. If you want the paid bets, go to bestfightpicks.com. And Kyle, Demir Hadzovic is taking on Christos Giagos. Now, interestingly enough, the line open minus 275 for Hadzovic. Currently, they got him 9,100. In DraftKings, a lot of action coming in Christos Giago's way. I got to know where Kyle Marley stands on this one. Um, see, I like Hadzvik, Hadzvik to get the win here. Uh, I think he's just a better striker in this fight. will probably mostly play out on the feet. It's just that 9,100, man, that's just too high for a guy who's not going to be going out there getting takedowns. You're going to need him to get a finish to pay that off. Um, so I don't love that, and I'd rather – just go ahead and throw Giagos in my lineup if I had to use this fight because if Giagos wins, it's going to be through a, a grappling, uh, take a wrestling game plan, and that's what we do like, as you mentioned, in DraftKings. So if he can just get you know two rounds, one from takedowns and pull out a decision, even if it's not not high scoring, he can still put us on the 25K lineup just with any win at 7,100. So I'd rather have Giagos, but I do have had to winning the fight, so I'm not going to be loading up on Giagos. For me, it's more of a fade fight. Uh, it's just more a uh, dogger pass one for me. So Daniel Tamor is welcoming Sung Bin Jo to the UFC, the Korean Falcons 9-0. and And a lot of action has been coming in Tamor's way. I feel like people almost think that this is uh, his brother uh, David Tamor, but it's actually not. It's Daniel Tamor. So from a DraftKings perspective, are you trying to take uh, the underdog Tamor here, or do you think the 8,800 is uh, where it's at here with uh, with Sung Bing Jo? Uh, another great fight to target both sides of. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision is minus 245. So I think either way, the winner's going to score highly. I just think Tamor's going to have to get it done in the first round, or else he might gas out, and the longer this fight goes, I like Ben Jo to get the job done. I actually like Ben Jo just more overall as a fighter. Uh, I liked what I saw from him, and – 
I think the line's a, a little bit too tight. I think he should be more of a favorite than he is. So uh, maybe that's going to take away from his ownership because he is 8,800. So if that's the case, then, yeah, give me some Ben Joe here. I think he's going to get the finish at some point, likely second or third round. Uh, and if that's the case, he's going to outscore that 8,800. But t- he's going to have to weather that early first-round storm from Tamer. And if Tamer finishes him in the first round, he's going to be at lock for that 25K lineup. So great fight to target both sides of, but give me Ben Joe. Last but not least, Leo Santos is making his return off a three-year layoff. He's taking on Stevie Ray. They got Leo Santos, 9,200 in draft games. We know he knocked out Kevin Lee in the first round. Do you think he gets a similar result here off a three-year layoff? No, I don't want to rely on the jiu-jitsu guy getting a knockout. Um, (laughs) But uh, I do think he's live for the submission. It's just that 90, what what did we say, 9,200. Maybe that won't even get it done, even if it is a first-round submission win. So at that price, I really can't get too much Santos in my lineups. And if I had to play this fight, I'd rather have Ray because he's only 7K. Pretty much any win from him could pay that off. I mean, even if he gets a 60-point decision win, maybe that could put him on the 25K lineup because there's only one person cheaper than him. So if Smith doesn't get the win um, and not many other underdogs pull it out, then Ray could win somebody 25K. So I'd rather have him. I just do think Santos gets the win. So it's kind of like Giago's situation where it's a dog or pass for me, but likely I won't have a whole lot of this fight in general. But out of the two dogs, which one do you like more? Uh, I actually would say Giagos because I think he has a higher floor in a loss. Uh, if, if Ray goes, if they both lose the way I, I see it going, I think Ray gets submitted and Giagos loses a decision. So I would rather just go ahead and take the floor from Giagos. But that only matters for a cash game. So I, I guess I'd say Giagos is my cash game punt. Well, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Kyle, it's going down this Saturday afternoon or morning, actually. In Stockholm, Sweden, your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com, and they can follow you at Big Marley 3. That's right, man. Let's get this money. I'm finishing up the write-up right now. We'll have it posted later. Bets are ready to go. Uh, Let's start printing this money and enjoy the fights, everyone. And that's why Big Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle shack. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Sweden? My fight to watch is going to be Chris Fishgold versus Makwan Americani. Both guys are talking a lot of shit. Both guys, uh, there's a lot on the line for them. You know, Makwan's got to keep riding this wave. If he if he loses this fight, it's a big setback, man. The, the Mr. Finland hype train is completely done, you know. And Fishy, you know, if he wins this fight, he solidifies his place in the company. A lot of people hyped him up before he made it, before he fought Calvin. They were putting him on commercials. And uh, so we'll see what he does, man. I feel like that's going to be the fight to watch with all the animosity. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be tuning in for Fishgold versus Makwan Amirkani. For me, my fight to watch is Alexander Rakic versus Jimmy Manuel. I mean, not only is this fight going to be very exciting while it lasts, but one thing I didn't mention in my breakdown of Rakic that I really like is his striking ratio. The guy lands 5.31 strikes per minute but only absorbs 1.61. That's a brilliant ratio. And with a guy like Jimmy Manuel who's going to be in your face the entire fight while he's up, while you know, while he's awake, that just that's just recipe right there for chaos, and I feel like these two are gonna stand and bang until one man falls. So for that reason, Jimmy Manuel versus Alexander Rakic is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Stockholm? My fighter to watch is gonna be Demir Hatsovic. This is a spot for him to come out and show everyone what he's got and why he's a class above these guys like Christos Giagos and the Polar Rays of the world. Yeah, Demir Hatsovic flying under the radar. The line dropped 
over a dollar, a lot of action on Christos Giagos. Demir Hatsovich is definitely one of my fighters to watch. My fighter to watch is the Korean Falcon, Sung Min Jo. Anytime you get a fighter with the Korean something in front of their name, whether it's the Korean Zombie, the Korean Superboy, now you got the Korean Falcon, these guys are guaranteed excitement. These guys come to fight every single time, and usually when they win, they win via something very devastating, whether it's breaking their opponent, whether it's a highlight reel knockout, a submission you've never seen before. And I feel like Sung Bin Joe's got the perfect opponent here against Daniel Tamor to go out there and uh, continue that that Korean legacy, man. So I'm gonna go with uh, the Korean Falcon Sung Bin Joe as my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in Stockholm, Sweden. They can check out our bets at BestFightPicks.com. Been on a hot streak this entire year. And that's going to continue this weekend and next. Remember, buy one, get one free. Buy one event, get the next event free. Buy one month, get the next month free. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMAGenius05. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify. Our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official, bestfightpicks.com. Thank you guys so much for the support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.